This episode is brought to you by Vin Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitaliinternational.com. Thanks for tuning into my new show, Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray, author of the book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in my previous podcast, I shared some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. This series will be dedicated to the personalities who have been working in the Italian wine sector in the U.S., their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. I'll uncover the roads that they walked, shedding light on current trends, business strategies, and their unique brands. So, thanks for listening in, and let's get to the interview. Hi, this is Steve Ray, and welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. This week, my guest is Giovanni Brumat from a a really interesting region in Italy that, uh, frankly, I had not heard about, although I probably driven by, and uh, we'll dig into it. So, Giovanni, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here and uh, I'm really happy to talk briefly about uh, our winery and uh, our land. Okay, so it's it's a winery, it's a co-op, it's a region, but it is all very unique and kind of exclusive. Tell us about it. Yeah, Cantiato Blino was founded in 1960. It's a co-op winery that nowadays counts more than 600 wine growers that cultivate around 900 hectares from 100 meters above sea level up to 880 meters. So we can say we can mix together both uh, valley viticulture and uh, mountain viticulture, so extreme viticulture. And uh, so it's quite hard to, to manage all these different microclimates, soil types, etc., and different grape varieties, of course. Uh, but we do that thanks to a really nice team, uh, experienced team uh, with a lot of uh, soft and hard skills um, to, that are really good to deal with the wine growers, not only in terms of viticulture practices or sustainable practices, but also from an administrative point of view, because it's really important, uh, because more than a quarter, actually, almost a third of our total vineyard area is certified organic. So even the administrative part is really important to get certified. Okay, so uh, geographically, where is it? Where, where are you physically located yourself? We are located in the southern part of Trentino in an area called Valle dei Laghi, uh, which means Valley of the Lakes, because there are some small lakes uh, in this area with the various depths, various surfaces, etc., that mitigate the climate. So in our area, there's, there are two important roles that influence the climate here. One is the lakes that retain heat and warm during the summer period and slowly release it during the winter and cold months. On the other side, we have uh, two winds, one coming from the Lake Garda. Again, a warm breeze that uh, really mitigates the climate in the cold, uh, cold times. Whereas in the summertime, we have another wind coming from the Dolomites, a stronger wind, colder wind, that uh, we can say uh, it lowers a little bit the, the high temperature of the summer period, especially in the month of July, August. So at the end of the growing season. To moderates, maybe we kind of jumped ahead here, but uh, tell us about you, uh, your history, and how you got here. You've been here, I think, three years. Tell us about how you ended up working on this piece of business. Oh, nowadays I'm um, covering the role of brand and export manager for Cantina Toblino. And uh, I started three years ago uh, with a consultancy here, actually. And uh, in um, a few years, I got this role. 
which is really important for me and uh, also for the Cantina Tobino because recently we have launched a lot of interesting projects of quality wines, sustainability, organic practices, etc. So it was important to have uh, someone that can uh, work on the marketing part, so communication, uh, PR, events, etc., but on the other side, also to try to develop the brand uh, abroad. So in the markets like the US or uh, the UK that are really important for us. My background is in economics, so in management. I studied in Milan at Bocconi University. And I had a lot of uh, international exposure with uh, Erasmus or uh, exchange programs, etc. And uh, for my, we can say, wine background, uh, I recently graduated the uh, at the WSCT diploma, so I completed my studies there. Oh, great. Congratulations on that. I know that that's a hard thing, which I, I have no intention of attempting. <laughs> so one of the things that, uh, two things I think that are, are particularly important here that distinguishes Cantina Tob Toblini from other kind of regions and also co-ops. It, it's different because you are a co-op, you are a region, you're not a consorci consortio, but kind of function crossover a lot of those things. Plus, you're the, you're known for a unique grape, which I was not familiar with. And as we were joking about, you know, even though there may be five, six hundred, I've heard different numbers of indigenous grapes in, in Italy, this was one I never heard of. And I didn't recognize the name, Noziola. But when we were at Wine to Wine in Verona, she said, you said, well, go over there, they're serving ice cream. And that's the name of our grape. So explain it, if you would. Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, starting from uh, your first sentence, we can say that Cantina Turbino is a quite a strange company because inside of the co-op, we also have a privately owned uh, uh, Azienda Agricola, so uh, a kind of estate of 38 hectares where some of our high-end wines and grapes come from. And also we have a restaurant. So there are three different companies within the group Cantino Tublino. So we are focused a lot on uh, Noziola, which is the only autochthonous white grape variety in Trentino, so local grape variety in Trentino. There are some notices of it that dates back to the 17th century at the time of uh, Concilium of Trento. So the reunion, we can say, of uh, the Catholic Church to fight against uh, Protestantism, etc. The, there was documents talking about a grape variety coming from this area, so the Valle dei Laghi, that was used both for the production of uh, uh, still whites and uh, some kind of dessert wines. But recently, Noziola has, has, be, has been discovered, we can say, because it became uh, a grape variety that is also age-worthy. It can make age-worthy wines, starting from, uh, for instance, from our uh, Largillaire, that comes to the market after uh, seven or eight years from the harvest. And on the other side... And this is a, a white wine. Let, let me in, interrupt and say, this is a white wine, which makes it particularly unusual. Yes, it is. It is. It is. It is, definitely. And at the same time, we also have uh, the famous, probably famous, I would say, uh, dessert wines that is called Vino Santo Trentino, which is quite particular because it comes to the market, in our case, uh, after 15 years from, uh, from the harvest. Uh, and it is oh ex explain that where 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 is it for the last fifteen years? <laughs> oh, somewhere in the cellar. No, I'm just joking. So it begins with the with the late harvest. We can say in um, early early October usually. Then the grapes are dried for at least uh, six months until the Holy Week, so Settimana Santa in Italian, which also gives the name to the wine. 
Then there are soft press, torchio or a vertical pneumatic press to extract a really clear, pure, pure juice. Then it is fermented and matured in small oak barrels of 200 and 400 liters. Those barrels are really, really old because some of them can be even 60 years old, so as old as the winery. And then they stay there for uh, 14, 14 years, 13 or 14 years, depending on the vintage. And then they age a little bit also in, uh, in the bottle before releasing. So in the end, 15, 15 years at least before coming to the market. Well, that's really unusual for, for sweet wines. Certainly there's Vinsantos in uh, Tuscany, I believe, and other parts of Italy, and certainly in, in Greece too, and Santorini, spelled differently, but still similar model in terms of... Uh, drying uh, to concentrate the juice, but uh, 15 years aging is kind of significant. I'm looking forward to tasting it. Back to the, the to the Nociola, the, the white wine. Nociola is sold as a kind of refreshing white wine. Has has some, I, I thought, very distinctive flavors. I'm not going to, I'm not a, a connoisseur to be able to describe them, but it, it definitely was one that I noticed. But the age worthiness is different. Now, I compare it where I'm a lot more familiar with like Grüneveltliner in uh, Austria. With age, it changes dramatically, but it also develops what is called petrol notes or, you know, uh, well, leave it at, at petrol. That's not the case here, I don't believe, correct? No, that's right. Uh, first of all, one thing that I would like to say is that in this area, uh, Nozola also is... Uh, um, called La Noziola, which gives like a feminine link to the to this grape variety. So uh, we can say that the grape and the wines are uh, elegant, are uh, really vertical in a certain sense, so retain freshness over time, uh, thanks to a really high acidity that sometimes even from both total acidity and the pH can be even higher than uh, the base wines that are used or base grapes that are used for the production of Trento Doc. So the sparkling wines. Therefore, uh, Noziola can be aged for a really long time, even if we are talking about still white wines, uh, like our Largillet. Over time, it develops a really nice uh, nutty flavor uh, that reminds of uh, what we can we call it in Italian nocciola. So that's also another link uh, to the to the name, which is hazelnut. Hazelnuts, right? Yeah. Yeah, hazelnuts. That's right. So. I think that over time, the Noziola can uh, really give uh, a lot of uh, excellent uh, aromas and taste profile with a really long persistence that is typical, as you said before, of Grunewald Tiner, of uh, Riesling or other edgewaty whites. I would say it's somehow in the middle between a kind of more aromatic grey variety like Riesling and uh, a Chardonnay that is less aromatic uh, but can have uh, a really nice development over time as the reasoning. But Noziola is somehow in the in the middle, in my opinion. And um, what can I say? On another typical feature of the Noziola is that uh, historically uh, it was produced in two different ways, maybe even three, if you are considering also the Vino Santo as one of the types. Uh, so Everyday drinking wine, so easy to drink, low alcohol, uh, low aromatic profile, and uh, really uh, drinkable wine. On the other side, we have kind of wines with, like large, our Largillère that are aged for a long time. It can last in the bottle for 
a really long time. One of the areas that you guys are um, actively involved with, uh, you talked about sustainability. Can you give me a sense of, of where, you know, obviously that it's a significant factor in the United States and there's some confusion between the terminology, among the terminology of sustainable, organic, natural, you know, all, all those kinds of things. How is sustainability as a concept faring in Italy, in the Italian market? And what sense do you have about where it, it fits in the United States market? I would say that, first of all, sustainability is a, can have really different meanings. In our case, we think that sustainability is not only talking about uh, some practices that focus on uh, the reduction of the impact on the environment. So let's say, in our case, organic practices. But on the other side, sustainability also considers some social and economic impact of our choices and our way of doing business. So in our case, we started back at least more than 10 years ago, I can say, trying to, to introduce organic practices in our vineyards and in the vineyards of our wine growers. And in three years time, three years uh, we received the first certifications on the, on the grapes first and then on the wines. Uh, and nowadays, in uh, the last five years, we have developed also some interesting uh, social uh, projects with uh, Progetto 92 and Believe Social Impact, for instance, to, that have two different goals. One of them was uh, an environmental goal, we can say. So we wanted to provide uh, houses to, to us, the birds and the bats inside of the vineyards, so to keep the biodiversity in our area. On the other side, the social impact, because the production of these houses, birds' houses, and also the installation of these houses in, uh, in the vineyards were done by the so-called NEET, so young people that uh, are currently not working or not studying, and uh, but on the other side, they want really want to start doing a job or do something. So it's very important for us to have this link to the local community and to the people around the Cantino Tobin. Great. And in terms of the, the relevance or the uh, general Italian market uh, acceptance and desire for sustainability and or organic certification, what's your guys' point of view on that? I would say that, as you said before, there's a lot of confusion even in the Italian market, not only in the U.S. market, on the uh, what it means to be sustainable and what it means to be organic or biodynamic or natural, etc. But on the other side, it's uh, the I would say it's a goal of uh, the wineries or the companies and also the consortium to promote and communicate what really means to be organic, to be biodynamic, natural wines, or even sustainable. In my opinion, nowadays we are in a situation where uh, the market that attention and uh, care for uh, the sustainable practices, not only organic, because I believe we went over uh, the simple organic or biodynamic or natural. Nowadays, people want sustainable things. So, of course, organic is a part of it, but on the other side, they want, I, I don't know, maybe lighter bottles, uh, really nice package that is uh, that recovers, for instance, some... Uh, uh, paper and uh, limits the usage of plastic, etc. So uh, people are really keen on understanding those kind of things. And if a winery is able to promote and communicate and uh, 
even uh, make them learn something about it. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you're aware that in, in the U.S., the term organic, as difficult, challenging for export brands, uh, as challenging as the U.S. is for export brands, it gets even more complicated for organic brands because while it may be certified organic in the EU, in the U.S., it's regulated legally by the TTB, but also by the USDA for use of the word organic. So you now have a foot in the door, so to speak. You've got a distributor, an importer and distributor in Florida and some um, distribution. Are the products that you're marketing in the U.S. labeled as uh, sustainable or organic or are they? Actually, not yet, but the new vintages that will come out in a few months, so in March, April, will be certified uh, uh, organic, but not organic itself, because as you mentioned before, there are some rules, strict rules in the US to be fully certified organic, which is uh, the no addition of uh, sulfur dioxide, except, or uh, even the usage of uh, other things to filter the wine. Therefore, uh, we will have uh, the certification made with organic grapes which is uh, still very important in the U.S. market. And uh, our importer acquired it because they, they think, of course, that uh, the wines are more appealing, even if uh, we only have, in a certain sense, made with organic grapes. But as our goal is to have uh, almost a full range of uh, organic wines and uh, wines that are made with organic grapes, it's important. Uh, to keep this uh, this thing. Okay, so who is your importer? Our importer is uh, Buta Wines in uh, Florida, that is based in Pompano Beach. B U T A. And when did you start? Uh, when did you actually start importing into the U.S.? We started this year. We started this year because uh, we weren't present in the U.S. Uh, up to now, but we have decided to move this step, and it was uh, the right time to do so. And so we started. Import and distribution in uh, in the U.S. in uh, this year, even though the the COVID nineteen has uh, a little bit stopped and limited our deals with the U.S. market. But anyway, we are trying our best to to be present there. Give us a little insight into how that happened. You know, one of the biggest challenges um, uh, Italian producers and 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 behind them consortia. Uh, have is uh, finding importers into the U.S. Uh, when you you have a very active PR trade PR program being run by Studio Crew in Vicenza, and got a hold of me and did a really aggressive but effective job in capturing my uh, interest and attention, and then meeting when we were in Verona. But how did you get the attention of of the importer? This is a, a big challenge for everybody else in Italy. Oh, we have a quite quite a strong network of people uh, that know a lot of importers there. Uh, we have contacted some of them, but our challenge was uh, to find the best fit for us because we are quite big, as I mentioned before. So what's the total production of of the winery in terms of uh, if you can either in bottles or in nine liter cases? I can say in bottles. Uh, in bottles, we produce around uh, five hundred thousand uh, bottles, which is that's a small number if you're considering our total vineyard area, but uh, we are not only producing bottled wines. That's why. So our total production is not that big, especially if we consider that we have more than uh, 25 different wines labels. Therefore, the availability of volumes and of wines that are can be 
available for the U.S. market and the U.S. importer is not that big. Therefore, we have to find, uh, I would say, a medium-sized, small medium-sized importer that is doing a really nice work on uh, the Oreca the channels, so with restaurants, hotels, etc. That is somehow focused on um, like premium, at least, wine, because even our entry level are can be considered even premium, and uh, and of, then of course with the super premium, so the high end line that we have. So what what's the range in pricing for the entry level? We are between five to ten euros seller, depending on. Oh, so you'll be you'll be like fifteen to twenty dollars MSRP in the U.S. for those entry level wines, maybe four. on deal or something? Yeah, and uh, on the other side, for um, the Selezioni, so the high-end wines, we are between, uh, we can say, 10 to 17 euros, except uh, the Vino Santo, which is even higher. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And that's kind of an unusual thing. You know, one of the things that I'm seeing is uh, increases in attention to, like, Sardinian wines with, you know, Cananao and Vermentino. But most of the, the growth in Italian wines seems to be red that I see, or at least people think about Italian wines, they think reds rather than than whites. Is that a challenge? Are you guys making any red wines? Yeah. Actually, we are concentrated on uh, white wines, white grape varieties, but we produce also some really interesting reds, both from international grape varieties like uh, Pinot Nero and uh, I would say that Lagrain is in the middle between international and local because it's grown somewhere else, but it's linked to Trentino Alto Adige. So we produce also Lagrain and two other really Trentino grape varieties that are Teroldigo and Rebo that are really interesting grass. Rebo especially is important for us because it's almost only produced here in Valle dei Laghi and it can be used both for easier easy or easier to drink wines uh, with uh, not a lot of alcohol so between uh, 12.5 and 13 with a little oak usage uh, for maturation and on the other side uh, we use the rebel for the production of uh, a special wine that stays in oak for at least three years uh, after a small drying process that can last up to 30 or 40 days. I definitely need to come to the winery and taste all these. When, when we were in Verona, you only had a couple there, uh, and, and that's what struck me of interest, but if, I'd love to taste the, the rest. So what activities are you running or going to run in the U.S. now that you have distribution here? Obviously, COVID is, is negatively impacting Oreca, as you call it, but you know, on-premise as, as we do. How are you dealing with that, and what are your plans? Our plan is, of course, to and try to enter the market in the best way possible. So trying to support our importer, first of all, uh, with uh, some initiative and uh, some uh, marketing investments there. And on the other side, we want to participate when COVID allows it to some events and um, some masterclasses there. And at the same time, try to make our wines be tasted and hopefully uh, awarded also by some uh, international uh, critics and uh, journalists there. But at the same time, I believe, uh, uh, not now, but uh, I would say in the medium to long term, we have also to to plan uh, uh, something to have a stronger presence there. So maybe investing in the people that can be our promoters, brand ambassadors in the US that are living there, so not moving from, from Europe. Or Understood. From- 
Yeah. So a, a parallel question then becomes um, e-commerce. As you're aware, e-commerce has become a really significant channel in the U.S. You know, a lot of people are thinking of it as a third channel, on-premise, off-premise, and e-premise. Um, and it's a way for you to have distribution of your wines in states where you don't necessarily have specific distribution when you're working with retailers who can um, ship across state like state lines. Do you have any, are you working with your um, importers, importer and are they your distributor too in Florida? Yeah, they are. Buta? Okay. So you're working with them on any uh, e-commerce programs early on, or do you have plans for that? Not right now, but we are planning to do so because, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, the e-commerce trend is in the U.S. especially is kind of uh, disrupting the historical three-tier system, in my opinion. So I would say being present in the in the e-commerce nowadays is really important. Of course, it boomed during the COVID period because uh, all the direct sales in, in the shops or from the winery weren't present in a certain sense. But I will say that in the near future, uh, e-commerce will become more and more uh, one of the keys to success. So uh, uh, it's it can be really hard for uh, some wineries that uh, don't have a structure uh, or the personal uh, that understands all of these uh, dynamics and uh, how the e-commerce work but on the other side it it will be uh, really nice nowadays it counts uh, in italy and in europe less than uh, 10% uh, but in the us even more than 20 sometimes in certain areas uh, well, actually, you know, it depends on whose numbers you, you, you believe, but we, we certainly have seen a dramatic increase. I've heard from four to eight. It's very hard to get numbers on this, of course, but I don't think it's reached 10 yet. But the, the forecast is 12 to 20 in the near future, simply because everything else is selling through e-commerce. So one of the key pieces uh, of uh, messaging in the U.S. is scores. You alluded to them before. Have you uh, had your wines uh, rated and reviewed by any entities like James Suckling or... Uh... Yeah, some of our uh, wineries, the high-end ones, uh, bought from local and international varieties. So not only Nozzola, but also Chardonnay, Pinot Blanc, Manzoni Bianco, Pinot Noir, or even Lagrain have been awarded and scored. We received scored from uh, James Suckling, Wine Advocate, Genesis Robinson, and also from The Counter, which is based, of course, in the UK, but it's recognized worldwide. And we are looking for getting some scores also from Venus, wine enthusiasts, and uh, others. Uh, but, and I believe that uh, the future, especially for uh, our high-end wines, will be bright. And what trade shows are you planning on? Uh, is your importer and distributor planning on attending and exhibiting at? Uh, obviously, that's a <laughs> something in the state of flux as well. But uh, in the U.S., I'm talking about. Do you have specific plans? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, because we have a partnership with uh, Gambra Rosso and Slowine, especially, that are doing uh, over the years, every year they do a U.S. tour. So we are planning to attend some of the shows with them. And uh, at the same time... Have, have you, have you, do you have uh, like, uh, awards from Trevicchieri? Yes, of course. Have you won? It's... Uh, of course. Of course. <laughs> I mean, with, with... Every, everybody does. No, they don't. <laughs> no, I, I said, of course, because it's uh, the third year, actually, that we got Trebicchieri. Trebicchieri. Yeah. That's really, really significant. Yeah, but uh, the thing is that uh, on the first year, we got it on, um, on the Vino Santo, uh, 2003, that was named also the best sweet wines 
sweet wine in uh, in Italy uh, that year. Then the second year uh, we received the, on the Lora, uh, which is another Noziola, the 2015 vintage, and then last year with the, the Largiller 2013, so another Noziola. So in three years, 2015, 2013 sounds like we're talking about uh, Brunellos. <laughs> I mean, in terms of age, yeah. right? They're just releasing the 2016 Brunellos. That's really. I was very interested and excited. It was one of those things that I discovered at. Uh, wine to wine. I remember we were having a conversation with a couple of our friends and uh, I just went over and grabbed a, a bottle and I didn't know anything about it. And you happened to be there and then you started explaining it and I tasted it and said, like, wow, this was a, a wow factor of, in my mind, a totally undiscovered or unknown grape variety from Italy that you know, c- competes on a very different scale than Vermentino or something else. Not that there's anything wrong with Vermentino, but this thing it was kind of like I felt about when I first learned about Grunewaldliner, that it's, well, there's a whole world here that most people in America don't know. And that's kind of what excited me and interested me in this whole thing. So that that's exciting. You're a member of something called Agive? A-G-I-V-E? What's Agive. Agive. Sorry, no, my Italian pronunciation, not good. Explain it. What is it? It's a kind of association uh, under the umbrella, we can say, of Unione Italiana Vini. That is uh, That allows the members to be only under 40 years old. At the beginning, uh, they were only... Uh, what, what do they do when they're over 40? Do they shoot them? No, 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 no. They, they just apply <laughs> for the proper Unione Italiana Vini. That's it. No, they don't shoot them yet. No, jokes apart, it's a really interesting association that uh, uh, was born uh, only for uh, the um, Italian wine producer, Italian wine families at the beginning. But then uh, they opened the doors also to young managers and professionals in, uh, in the wine sector, but not only in the production point of view, so not only from the wineries, but also from uh, like all the supply chain of uh, the wine sector, which is really interesting because nowadays we have some consultants there, some uh, e-commerce startups, etc., which is really, really interesting. And uh, it's really nice to open uh, your network and uh, to be friends and uh, take contact with uh, all these people that uh, uh, to be, to try to be, in a certain sense, the future of the Italian wine. Which I think is is wonderful and bright. And I see, uh, you know, generations uh, handing off uh, responsibility in, in, in all over the country, of course. Okay, so um, one of the things I like to do, one of the things that I like to do in ending the conversations is ask, What's the big takeaway? We've talked about a lot of things about this great, very few people have heard of, a type of wine we're not familiar with, age-worthy whites, uh, also an unfamiliar, relatively unfamiliar concept. Out of all of that, relative to Cantina Toblino, what's the big takeaway? I would say that uh, the wine sector is really complicated, but we have to, the goal to make it simple and uh, to find the best way to try to communicate our strengths and uh, our goals and our attention to build a really nice future for, uh, in our case, for the Italian wine. Okay. So when you get that figured out, would you let me know? Because I've been working on that for a while too. (laughs) That's great. Thank you. So bringing this to a close, I want a big thank you to uh, Giovanni Brumat of uh, Cantina Toblino. And uh, you get uh, applause for being so relentless in chasing me down <laughs> and meeting uh, 
in 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 Italy, and uh, I really look forward to seeing more of the wines in the U.S. market. It is something new and interesting and to be discovered. And, and that's one of the things that, that we know from a marketing perspective is that Americans want is to discover something new. And the, the beauty of Italy, we have something like five or 600 varietals to discover. It's, a, it's an endless journey, I think. So uh, thank you to Giovanni. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in Italy in April uh, at Vin at Italy. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Steve, for inviting me and for this beautiful conversation. And uh, I wait you here in Italy, not only at the Vin Italy, but also in our winery as soon as possible. I'd like to come. I'm, I'm kind of listening to your talk. got me more and more interested. So, yeah, that's kind of a definite. Thank you again. And uh, that's it for this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast channel. Check in next Monday for a new edition with another interesting conversation with people involved in the Italian wine business. This is Steve Ray. Thank you very much. This is Steve Ray. Thanks again for listening on behalf of the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.